0: Great to see you here. Can I add my welcome to you? My name's Steve. I lead the church here. It's fantastic to see you here this evening. Thanks ever so much for coming out tonight. Great to see the sign-up to groups. I'm praying up to a 1,000 people will be in our groups this term. So uh, if you've yet to step in, please do do that. Follow up on Tristan's exhortation. And it's my great joy to introduce to you. I guess I should sit down now. Oh, Okay. It's yeah, okay. So my great joy to uh, introduce to you uh, Terry Virgo. He's the founding father of uh, the New Frontiers movement. And uh, many of us have really grown up on his shoulders. We have learned how to build church, the kind of core values of kings, really fly out of uh, Terry's uh, ministry. I've had the privilege probably for uh, 20 plus years to follow his leadership, and then for about a decade, fairly close up, which was a huge privilege. And so it's a great joy to uh, welcome Terry Virgo. So as he comes up, why don't we give him a King's warm welcome? Thank you. Okay. Okay, we'll do photographs later, Ben. Okay, all right. Okay, um, Terry. I mean, many of us know you and have benefited from your ministry over years. But I'm guessing there are some people here that maybe. Might might not have even ever heard your but probably haven't heard your story. So could, could we just go right back to the beginning? Could, could you just tell me how you became a Christian, a little bit about your upbringing, and how you uh, kind of first came to know Jesus?
1: Thank you. It's a great joy to be here, just to say that straight away. It's a privilege to come in to this beautiful place. I saw it very early on when it first came across your path. But to see what you've done to it, and see it full of praying, worshipping people, is a terrific joy. Uh, for me, I, um, my parents were not Christian. I don't come from a Christian background at all. Uh, when I was 16, um, and I was living a pretty ungodly life. My sister had uh, been to drama college and had moved to London uh, with a view to going on the stage. She was beginning to get a small part on the stage. Uh, and she came home one weekend. I came home on a Saturday night, and she said to me, "I've become a Christian." And I'd never heard anybody say that before. I didn't know you could become a Christian. I thought you either. You know, the whole deal was weird to me. Uh, and then uh, I said, what does that mean? She said, I've been born again. And I'd never ever heard that phrase in my life before. And uh, I argued with her for quite a while. And then she said, do you believe um, that Jesus rose from the dead? Uh, this was quite a long conversation. And uh, I said, uh, He's supposed to have been raised on the third day, isn't he? And she said, she said something like, That means he's alive now. And uh, do you know, it suddenly came alive to me. And uh, I suddenly knew it was true. And so on the very first time I ever heard the gospel, uh, I knelt down in my home and received Christ into my life. Um, I would say it was kind of ask Jesus into your heart. That was about the whole message, really, except you'll go to heaven and all your sins are forgiven. But there was nothing about walking with God. Uh, so I just started going to church on Sunday mornings. That was the only thing that changed in my life. That's how I got started. And uh, how old were you then, Terry? 16. 16.
0: Wow. <laughs> Back in the day, eh? <laughs> Feels like yesterday. And, and then um, uh, tell us a little bit about your journey, uh, early years of faith uh your experience of the church and also i seem to remember you're you're going to be introduced to some pentecostals or something something to do with people that believed in baptism and the holy spirit and that part of your
1: journey i mean for me i guess really for it it was like four years i wobbled along i knew i was born again i knew i was a christian but people looking on wouldn't have known except i went to church on sunday so i was kind of living two lives uh So Sunday morning, I'd be in church, but Saturday night, I'd be out uh, in Brighton, which is a kind of young people's town, and I was part of that culture, jazz club Friday night, uh, all sorts of stuff that wasn't appropriate for a Christian, Um, and then Sunday morning in church, and uh, not very happy, uh, often asking God to forgive me and just messing around, really. I never got into the church. There used to be a plaque on the wall saying, do not speak in the sanctuary. Uh, So it was hard to get to know anybody, really. (laughs) The the atmosphere of church in those days was vastly different. And uh, uh, then one Sunday, uh, a guy preached, and uh, it was a big, big turning point. And he preached on the verse, out of context, I know I realized, but I didn't then, uh, from Galatians, which says, you did run well. Who has hindered you that you no longer obey the truth? And it, it was like I was the only person sitting in the church, which had about 600 members. It was quite a big Baptist church. And uh, I was riveted. And I went home and I got on my knees and I said, I give you my whole life. I mean, it was, I was, I was like the fear of God. I'd never met the fear of God before. And I felt God said to me, I want your life and I want it now. And it it came over like it's now or never. It was really quite scary. I mean, I'd had all kinds of efforts to try, and I got baptized at one point, but I was a a useless Christian. And it's like, I want you now. And so that was it. I gave up all my old friends. I went out with them one more weekend said, this is it, I'm I'm a Christian now, I'm I'm not going to go this way anymore. And they laughed and said, see you next weekend. Uh, (laughs) but I, I, I did I, and it was a bit of a death really because I'd never got into the church before and now I started trying and uh, I worked hard at it threw myself into church life which was very strange different culture to what I was used to and actually it was as I tried to live the Christian life I, I realised my need of power and uh, especially power to witness that's where I felt mm. terrific weakness that I, I couldn't witness one one Sunday afternoon, it came to a kind of uh, climax for me. I was walking along Brighton seafront, which has a top promenade and a bottom promenade. And on a Sunday afternoon in the summer, thousands of people walking along there, and there's this crowd of people, and they're all laughing at some elderly ladies who were preaching and holding up banners, and uh, and people were throwing cigarette packets and apple cores at them. And I thought, oh, it's just terrible. Uh, why is it like this? And I felt God said because I called young men to do this not frail elderly ladies how about you? and I thought no, no I couldn't do that and, uh, and that led me because on the, the next day I went back to work I used to, I used to commute to London every day and before this crisis I used to play cards I'd play solo coming up and three card brag going back and I used to get my season ticket money and, uh, and so that was what I did I just hoped no one from church would see me uh, but, but With this crisis, I moved back down the train and started reading Christian books. I'm so grateful an older lady in the church, I think, spotted that something had happened to me and started lending me Christian books. And I I started reading about uh, Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, the guys who had just a few years earlier all been slaughtered in, in South America as missionaries, five guys. And their books, the stories of their lives were amazing I read one after another Hudson Taylor all these great heroes and I was kind of rubbing shoulders with heroes every day and it really affected my life because I was two hours in a train uh, an hour up and an hour back every day and I was devouring these books and it really stirred me up a lot about world mission and so on and uh, but I was totally incapable of witnessing Uh, so I went and saw a Pentecostal guy and he was everything I wanted to be you know we used to have a lunch in a cafe in London somewhere. He'd always be talking to people about Jesus when I turned up. And uh, I used to think, I wish he wouldn't do that. But then I wished I could do that. And that led me to go to his church the following Sunday. They laid hands on me. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. I was so excited. It changed everything for me. And I went back to my Baptist church and there was a youth weekend. It was quite funny, really, because we all went away for a weekend once a year about 70 of us, maybe 70 or 80 young people. And uh, there was a program on a Saturday afternoon. It said, we go for a walk. It's pouring with rain. So the pastor said, let's just have another session. Let's make it informal. And they said, um, we all sat around. The, and they suddenly pointed at me. He said, Terry, something's happened to you lately. What's happened to you? So I've been praying for an opportunity to witness. But I thought, whoa, this is, anyway, I told them. I'd been to the Pentecostals, they'd laid hands on me, and I now speak in tongues. And you could have heard a pin drop. And and then the the pastor, who was uh, a mature guy, probably 60-ish, he said, you must lay hands on all these young people, and I will come at the end of the queue. And in the next few weeks, I laid hands on a lot of the young people there, and they all got filled with the Spirit. And within a few, that summer, we used to go down to that seafront, every Sunday afternoon, and some of the girls would sing and play guitars, and I'd get up on the box, and I'd preach. uh, To me, it was like totally life-changing, the very thing that that terrified me we were now doing. So the young people's thing began to come alive. I said to the young guy who preached that day, he said, I prayed and prayed and prayed for that. Because I I felt the young people were very backslidden. So I was praying for them, that God would wake up the young people's group. I said, did you pray for me? He said, no, I didn't pray for you. said, I thought you were beyond hope. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh,
0: God's it's good. True. God's grace, yeah? yeah. Terry, uh, just move on a bit. Uh, tell us a little about the, the, the call of God on your life. And um, I remember hearing you, your early days of living by faith. I mean, you're known now uh, as founding father, global movement writer platform speaker but it's really helpful sometimes just to know the early steps of faith what god builds into you in those in some some ways the hidden places so tell us a little bit about the early days of following your call and yeah. some of the challenges that, that brought
1: to you i think when i got filled with the spirit it changed so much for me and um, it were two big things really church i just began to realize church has to change because church was so formal in those days. I mean, literally, you didn't speak. Uh, when you think in the Bible, it's, uh, there are over 40 one another verses you know, pray for one another, encourage one another. You couldn't do any of those. You just shook hands with the pastor and went home because uh, you're you know, not allowed to speak. And uh, so you know, I thought, and also I got my friends, because I had a kind of gang of friends I'd grown up with, I got them all to church once. Every one of them, once. But like, how do you do this? And they never came again. And so I began to think, the church has got to change for two reasons, really. One, in order to reach my generation, because they're they're never going to come into this weird world. Um, And two, once we got filled with the Spirit, and the church actually had no space for something fresh and lively, so although the young people got filled with the Spirit, and we started moving out, when we began to experience spiritual gifts, there was no room for that. So we had to kind of think, well, what do we do with this? So he thought, no, that we need a new wineskin. Something revolutionary has to happen in church. And when you look at church today, it's unrecognizably different. You know, like just now, Steve's saying, please be quiet so we can start. Well, that never, ever happened in old church life. You tiptoed around and whispered and so on. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we had to change church. So for me, I guess, um, I, I, two things happened, I suppose. I met a young guy who was an evangelist who was living by faith in Brighton. So I'd read about these missionaries who lived by faith. I'd never met a live one and he was working in our town and, um, uh, he started a Monday night prayer group in his home. And he invited myself and a few other guys uh, to come. And he said, if, if we study the Bible together, he said, I'd like, to, I'd like to study the Bible, but let's believe every promise and obey every command. Should we read the Bible like that? Which was pretty radical. And we said, yeah. And uh, so that was just before I got filled with the Spirit, actually. But that whole group got filled with the Spirit. And and then he began, he was a door-to-door evangelist, uh, and he invited me to join him. So I started going with him from door-to-door. We used to pray as often as we could together. And then I, I used to commute to London, 7.37 out of Brighton in the morning, and the 6 o'clock back at night. So I was from 7 till 7 every day, um, or thereabouts. I was out working and i i had no time i wanted to serve god more this growing feeling god was calling me to serve him uh but i, I thought i had that, i can't build any more into my life unless i don't work so how do, and then i went to the local pentecostal church one sunday morning I used to creep away to it occasionally um and there were two prophecies and one was a call to pray and to give oneself to prayer which I knew God was speaking to me about. And I thought, well, what do I do if I do that? I mean, how, how can I live? And the second prophecy was, if you put me first, I'll look after you. Now, obviously, there's a congregation there, but it was one of those times when I knew God was speaking to me. So the next day, I gave my notice, and uh, uh, a month later, I, I left work. And uh, I started going with my friend door to door, and then he became—he was invited to become the director of British Youth for Christ. So he, he left. and So I, I was doing door-to-door uh, for two years uh, in Brighton. Uh, and I never worked for anybody. And nobody promised me an income. So it was a faith venture. And it was exciting. It was scary. Uh, and yet I could testify God provided all that time, all those two years. Um, as I did evangelism door to door. Fantastic. Thank you, Terry. Uh, moving on a little, I
0: know if, I'm, if I remember rightly, the first church you led was in Seaford. And uh, you led that for. How long did you lead Seaford? Just remind 11 me. 11 years. It was 11 years. I think most people forget that actually you led Seaford, 100 plus people. Mm. Uh, And then you moved to Brighton. So Mm -hmm. just tell us about the move into Brighton and then obviously the, the fantastic church that emerged there. And then maybe into the movement that
1: flowed out of that church and your ministry. Okay. Well, just quickly, I got led to go to Bible college while I was in London. I went to a really very exciting church. I think it's the most significant thing that happened to me, apart from meeting Wendy and getting married. Uh, I, uh, I met a church that was a genuine fresh new wineskin full of the Holy Spirit. And I went there for three years while I was in London and then went to Westminster Chapel and heard Lloyd- Lloyd-Jones on Sunday evening, um, which is a fascinating combination. And then this church in Seaford had just got started. Uh, they were not charismatics, but they were pioneers. They bought... A plot of land they're going to put up a building and they said would you come and i said well look if i come you just need to know i've been baptized in the spirit if i lead the church that's the way i'd like to go and they said well we've heard you preach we know you're biblical so if you preach the bible we'll follow you um so i said okay Uh, but it was easier said than done because when i went it was the same kind of place as where i was you know you tiptoed and it was all very formal Um, And so we we took four years, I would say, to turn that round. And after four years, it became a very lively, bright church, very exciting church. And people started traveling in um, to visit us, as a result of which I got invited out. So before I moved to Brighton, actually, while we were still at Seaford, I was involved in some new house churches getting started first one started in the home of Nigel Ring, uh, a guy who stayed with me ever since. But we went to his home. Uh, There was just a group of people there. And I spoke, and some people got filled with the Spirit. And they said, would you come back next week? And I said, well, I'm pastoring a church. And they said, well, look, if we meet every week, would you come every other week? And so I said, okay, I'll do that. So this little house group just grew and it filled the room, and they sit out in the hall and up the stairs, and they had a whip-run and knocked the wall down, and it just became quite a big church, actually, in the home. And then one couple moved from there across to near Horsham and did exactly the same. So I would go with a car full of guys uh, to one church one week and another church alternate alternate weeks, Um, and then gradually other places around the county of Sussex until there were eight, maybe, uh, house churches that we got started. There was Hastings and Eastbourne, all over. Little groups, started with 15, 20 people. And to be honest, they're all warehouse churches now, uh, with several hundreds in them. Most of them are the biggest church in town now. But when we started, there were tiny little groups in homes. Um, But I started doing that. uh, And then... I was invited to help a little group in, in Brighton and um, God said to me, actually when I left Brighton, I said to Wendy, when we got married, I said uh, when I was at London Bible College, I said one day we'll move to Brighton because God's promised me that um, and he said to me, I'll bring you back to this place so I don't know how it will happen or when it will happen but it will happen and so suddenly this group said, would you help us and God said to me, now you go and lead that little group. So about about 35 people. And so we left Seaford and I moved across to Brighton uh, to lead that. And about that time, uh, I was working then with a growing number of churches. It's interesting, I look now at multi-site. I was thinking about this the other day. that actually I was going to this one alternate weeks. I'm going in and out of so many. In the end, I wasn't preaching at my home church anymore. I raised up some preachers. And I was out all the time around these Places all within about an hour's drive, mostly around Sussex originally. Um, and then once a month, I'd, I'd hire a hall in Brighton, started in a hotel, went to Brighton Pavilion, ultimately Hove Town Hall, could seat 1,300. And, and we would gather a 1,000 people once a month uh, at the town hall, and then going to these small groups. And I think back, it's extraordinary, actually, certain familiar features there so we would be laying foundations in churches all around um laying hands on people getting filled with the spirit and these churches started growing all around the county so that's how we got started and then one day john groves who was an elder by then at the church at hastings had a prophecy and he saw in the he saw a vision of a herd of elephants charging and uh, and then and then there's jungle and they just keep going and he prophesied, and his opening line was, there are no well-worn paths before you. And together, you can make a way where there is no way. And you can accomplish more together than you can apart. Many will follow. And so he, he could see these elephants smashing through jungle and making a path together. And so we sort of thought, wow, God's spoken. What does that mean? Because up until that point, it was just kind of Terry Terry was helping us. Oh, Terry helps us too, and he helps us too. There was no, we weren't part of anything. Um, we didn't belong to anything. Even when we put on the Downs Bible Week, you didn't belong to anything. We just put that on. And then after that prophecy, we felt God was saying, you, you come together and form something. And so we thought, well, what does that mean? We talked about it a lot. I came up with about 15 values that I thought, it wasn't like rewriting the creed or something. So if, what kind of church do we want to produce? And we put those values together and we talked about it and we reshaped them a bit after discussion. We said, right, that's it. That's what we are. That's what we're going for. And what should we call ourselves? New Frontiers came up because it's breaking through new frontiers. So that's how we started. And then we began began to grow. And every, all the churches, they kept their own names, all sorts of different names out there. Uh, but we all were new frontiers together. And then the Downs Bible Week began to be our, our kind of base. And that grew. Uh, it started. first one was 2,700. And after 11 years, it grew to 10,000. And then we closed that down um, and had a, a vision about pushing north. And uh, moved the Bible Week to Stonely. And it started, Stonely started at 10,000 and grew to just under 30,000 uh, over the years. And churches grew. Now, I don't know if I've answered your question or gone off on something else. Well, no, I'm, I'm
0: fascinated. How many of you actually went to Stonely? You put your hand up. You actually, when we say oh, Stonely, oh, well, quite Good. a few of us. So. Quite a crowd. All right. Okay. We're a young crowd here, Terry. Yeah. and. Uh, so Terry, just move on. Um, New Frontiers uh, breaks out from the south, becomes a national movement, but also increasingly other nations opening up. You find yourself traveling all over the world, really, speaking at conferences, but also other churches joining our family of churches. Very much under this, we can do more together than apart, kind of prophetic foundation with kind of apostolic ministry and you know and prophetic foundation. and um, uh, But you suddenly find yourself leading a growing you know thriving and probably the fastest uh, strongest even new church movement in the particularly in the UK can you give us an insight into some of the joys that brings like a highlight and maybe if you can, I'm sure you'll choose, well, maybe what one of the kind of low points, what are the challenges? What, what do you, when you look back, you think, oh, that, I remember standing, seeing that happen, surprised by that. And then there was this situation which was really, you know, really, really challenging.
1: Can you do that? Yes, certainly. I mean, it's, it has been a gradual thing. You can tell the story in a half an hour or something, but, of course, it took decades. So it was a very gradual thing. Lots of things happened very gradually. There were obviously very exciting times. I think the very first time I ever spoke at the Dale's Bible Week, which was a Bible week of another group, you know, and, and I was leading a church of, uh, you know, only a hundred or so people in the Seaford. And would I speak? Because we were planting all these churches. None of them was very big. Together, when we gathered at the town hall, we'd be a thousand. But what I speak at the at the Dale's Bible Week? So that was terrifying and wonderful, um, exciting. And then we had our own Bible Weeks, which grew. I guess some of the high spots were those uh, those big events. I think another very high spot for me was that we, when we had a guy called Kriensak, who was from Thailand, uh, I could spend hours telling you how I got to meet that wonderful man. Um, his name was. Dr. on Charyon Wonsak. It's like someone took the alphabet, threw it up in the air. <laughs> when it came down, that's what they called him. And, but he, he was an amazing man, quite amazing man. And uh, uh, he, he had started a church in Bangkok and was planting churches all over Thailand. And I had the privilege of meeting him. I've been hugely privileged to meet some amazing people. And Crean was one of those. And I think when he preached for us and our leaders' uh, event at Brighton, he preached at Stonely as well once, but I think the leaders' event in Brighton was perhaps one of the most memorable. And he made an invitation uh, for people to, who would go church planting. And the number of people who knew that God called them, but not only knew that God called them, but said names of towns into their heart. It's quite extraordinary. You can meet people and say, oh, I was there. That's where God called me. And, and he had something about him that was quite dramatic. In fact, he spoke to he spoke the year before we went to Stonely. And on, from the platform, he said, is there a place in England called, and he said this in front of, I don't know, a few thousand people, is there a place called, and he spelled out co, Covent, coventry and um, obviously coventry he was seeing it and i guess stonely would have been impossible to pronounce (laughs) but coventry was the nearest town and he said i see you all gathered at this place in coventry and i see a i see a funnel of golden glory coming down on you gathered there I mean, it was pretty dramatic, uh, because we'd just booked Stonely, and he didn't know about that. Um, Nobody much knew about it. we just made a booking. And I I remember when they first opened the Brighton Centre, there used to be a cinema there, and and they built the Brighton Centre. And it was a 5,000-seater, a big, I mean, a very, very nice. Some of you may have been with us at the Brighton Centre. And I said to Nigel Ring, one day we'll use that for an international conference. And uh, bless his heart, he got all the literature for me. I mean, we were tidy, but I just thought we're going to use that. And then some years later, we met John Wimber, another privilege of mine. And John Wimber came to Brighton and filled the Brighton Centre. He was the first person who ever filled the Brighton Centre. Even Margaret Thatcher couldn't fill it, (laughs) but he filled it and uh, and um, and, the, and john asked us if we would host the conference for him and run it for him because we'd had the privilege of meeting him and so on and we said yeah of course we will and nigel administrated that and the team um and then he said to me nigel said to me is that what you think is that what you were talking about i said no no we we will have we will have our conference there and it's wonderful it happened and uh so we've had some wonderful, exciting things. I mean, I could give a lot of lists of exciting things. I think the hardest, you know, I you know, think what's the hardest thing? I think probably the hardest thing for us was the difficulty we had when we were in India. And that was, takes a lot of un, unraveling and talking about. But it was very tough indeed when we suddenly found that what was being built out there on our behalf was not, like us it wasn't it wasn't being built on a grace foundation which would characterize who we are it was it was being built on a very to be honest legalistic very harsh and we had to deal with that and it was very very painful that's probably our hardest thing although to be honest in the back in the 80s the hostility when we started planting churches there weren't many people I don't know when churches were last planted you know, whether it was the Methodist, I suppose Pentecostal, but it hadn't for decades people hadn't planted new churches. And so it was it was revolutionary. And also, um, we 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 were trying to form a new kind of church where we're expressing commitment. We said, Well, this is the sort of church I came from a Baptist background where you had democracy and what they call business meetings, where everybody shouted at one another. And it was horrible. I thought that's not that's not Bible, and so we were building churches differently, and and we had kind of introductory commitment courses. Well, people got hold of that and began to attack us and say you're building a cult uh, because we were growing so fast. And I had to speak at two conferences: one at Westminster Chapel, where there were, I mean, scores of pastors came together, and I was. I had to speak on what we were doing. It was about mid-80s. And the hostility was phenomenal. And then I had to speak the same year at the Evangelical Alliance ministers thing. And again, the hostility was phenomenal. Um, And, uh, you know, people really... uh, uh, There'd been a, a mass suicide in South America at that time. A man called Jones led a group down to South America. And they... They commit, They all committed suicide together and uh, and I saw in two different magazine articles that Terry Virgo was leading a movement like that and you think it 's unbelievable i mean it 's just incredible, uh, but that was people and even friends of mine from the Baptist Church in Brighton they began to back off because the way we were being um, the picture that was being painted. In fact, I think it was when John Wimber came to Brighton and everybody loved John Wimber because um, he represented a tremendous value system but wasn't planting churches in England at the time. And, uh, and he was like Father Christmas. He gave everything away and he's a sweet man and, and uh, everybody loved John Wimber. Um, and then he invited me to preach on his platform and some people were horrified that this terrible cult leader was invited by the wonderful John Wimber to speak at his conference. And I preached on grace to 5,000 <laughs> 5, leaders. And it was a big turning point because the people who didn't know us were saying we were a legalistic cult. And they don't know, they don't know us, they never met us. But that was out there. And then they came in Brighton. And, and I mean, I had letters afterwards from people saying, we had no idea. And it just turned it right round. And John Wimber was so sweet to us. And you know, saying, I've never heard a message like that before. And he was so warm and appreciative. And it kind of turned things round. And things have turned so much so that even the people who were at that Westminster Chapel meeting who were so harsh to, to me, they've invited me now to speak in their councils. And uh, one <laughs> one guy I met, in bournemouth near guy miller's church and he asked to meet me uh, and and the pastor and he put out his hand to shake my hand big smile and he said i am a cessationist and they said um, he said we have met before i said i'm sorry i don't remember he said do you remember speaking at the westminster fellowship with all the pastors?" i said yeah i remember that <laughs> and he said do you remember somebody asked the question because i went through all our values one of them was, you know, we believe in apostles today. And another one was saying, um, you know, we're very relaxed and Christian name terms. and uh, Anyway, they were mocking that and attacking that. And one one voice came out of the crowd saying, so you make yourself equal with the apostle Paul, do you? And, you know, I tried to answer that. So he said, we've met before. I don't, I don't remember. Do you remember that? Day? Yeah, I remember that day. He said, do you remember the question? Do you make yourself equal with the Apostle Paul? I said, yeah, I remember that question. And he smiled. He said, I asked it. He said, <laughs> But he was really, really friendly. And, uh, and a lot of people who opposed us harshly, I mean very harshly, back in the 80s, have turned right around now. And there's a lot of warmth out there now, hmm. a lot of friendship, um, and people accepting i think we've you know we've been around a long time (laughs) we didn't blow up we've stayed true to the scripture and i think people who got this kind of caricature of what we were have seen that wasn't true and now there's, there's much more openness
0: fantastic terry i wonder if we could we've got a few minutes left but let's so could we zoom right up to maybe just these last few years obviously the Movement flourished, grew right across the UK. You know, went around the world uh, to many nations, and then obviously just approaching four years, July before years came a time where you felt there was time to hand, in a sense, the family on. You appointed your sons. You, you know, what do you? What, you know, one question, I guess, people: well, what, are, what? Are, what have you been doing, Terry, since you've handed on, and and also some your you, you know your perspective on
1: how well that's gone since you've released your sons? That'd be great to hear. Thank you. Yeah, it's been very exciting to see things. I mean, it's going so well And so many other places. We like in India, it was just one church originally. Now there's scores. And then in Mexico, it was one church Guadalajara. Now it's like thirty plus churches. Canada was one church. I was over there thirty churches. I mean, in nation after nation, we started Cape Town, one church in South Africa. Now it's churches all over South Africa and Zimbabwe and so on. Um, you know, again and again. So it's going very very well. Uh, I praise God for it. Uh, we just keep on seeing blessing. Um, God's I think led us beautifully. Um, very encouraged by all that's taking place it's strange being on the other end of it in terms of my you know you hand the thing over um, and then I felt God led me to move away from Brighton uh, where we had our New Frontiers hub and I've moved to Kingston on Thames and uh, you kind of wake up one morning and think oh (laughs) it's gone and so personally you've come to a new phase but also I had a lot of prophecies. Uh, in fact, you almost could tell you know the Caleb prophecy is going to come again. God's got more mountains for you to climb, sort of thing. And it's been a busy time. So last year, for instance, a third of the year I was overseas. Four months I was overseas. Um, much of the time with New Frontiers, but also in new worlds. So I wrote uh, The Spirit-Filled Church. And that's opened a lot of doors in America, particularly. So I've spoken at new Spirit-filled church conferences in America. Uh, In Los Angeles, I went three years running to a growing number of churches that are looking in. They're not New Francis churches, but wanting to learn about apostles today, how do churches relate, how do you stay true to the Bible but embrace the Spirit. Um, And for some in, in, in the States... It's, it's not quite like England. The, the two sides are quite divorced over there. If you're a spirit-filled, you're kind of crazy. And so on. that's how they regard it. And so to say, but in England, no, we've, we've, we're quite serious Bible people, but we're really open to the presence of the spirit. And and so there's doors opening a lot in America um, to that message. Uh, some about how do you get filled with the spirit? How do you, how do, you do that? Um, uh, others... Who say, you mean you are spirit filled, but you love the Bible? Because uh, the news, usually, if you say you're spirit filled, they say, what about prosperity? Because they put those things together. And we say, it's not even relevant. So it's a big doors opening in America, which is very exciting. Uh, so for me, I'm, I'm staying, I'm very busy still. I'm out I'm, uh, in New Frontiers churches often at the weekend. I'm going out to India in a few weeks' time. Um, uh, I'll be going to. Uh, Bulgaria, I'm going to Qatar to a new group I'm still travelling quite a bit and um, in Kingston um, Guy Miller whose name might be known by some of you he's one of the guys leading one of the teams had a prophecy at the old prayer and fasting days uh, before we took this step and uh, he, he said I mean there were 800 of us at prayer and fasting but I thought I it came to me, he said I can see I see three uh, a picture of three pictures of three battles, Um, and uh, I just three kind of battle pictures. And underneath, he saw hop, step, and jump. A strange combination. Don't remember it, but it, it was very vivid to me. And I felt God really spoke to me, and said for me three three battles: Seaford, Brighton, and the next place, and Kingston without my going into all the detail, I felt it was really what God was calling us to as the next phase. And I think it's, uh, strangely enough, I was then in another setting and Jonathan Latok, who knew nothing about this, was in Turkey actually, and pro- prophesied exactly the same image to me from a completely different world. He said, God's calling you to a, a jump, the third, the, and that's where all the energy goes into. So I've encouraged, see, doors are opening, bigger doors are opening all over the place i'm very busy very happy i miss team ever so much i miss being in close proximity with teams of guys which is in the past i was i was in the eldership team at brighton the uk team the international team my life was all teams uh, so i miss that a lot Uh, but i go in and out of other people's teams so that's how i am
0: fantastic thank you terry um uh, your hopes for new frontiers going forward in the UK and overseas, what, 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 you, what would be your prayer for yeah, for I for... believe
1: God's given us promises. Uh, I feel God's given us something to contribute. And I guess I've seen that in the US particularly, where people are beginning to ask big questions. And a lot of church work in America is very, it's like business, you know, hiring and firing and non-relational um I just had a guy meet, I met a guy in a hotel in London recently. He's just an American guy, but involved in leadership conferences in Europe. He said, I've never come across a group like you before. The relational aspect, I've never seen anything like it. Um, Would you speak at a leaders conference in Europe? And I think God's given us a lot to share. So across the nations, I'm excited. In the UK, the five or six teams are going very well. Uh, I think that our corporate clout is a little bit hidden now and I've actually been approached by some pretty high flyers in the UK including the Evangelical Alliance and others saying New Frontiers has a real reputation in this country, a really good reputation now Um, and please don't let your um, banner get hidden and... uh, because you're in different groups now, uh, and they've all got their different names, um, the overall impact of New Frontiers could get lost in the country. And uh, you know, we're trying to work our, our transition challenges, and I, I think we, I think I'm so grateful to God. I, I've come. I know of another, maybe four or five movements that have done what Mark Driscoll actually said at the Brighton Centre, which was, Terry, find one young man who will take over this whole thing. And uh, I know of a number of groups now around the world, similar groups to us, who have tried doing that. And it's been disastrous. I mean, just disastrous. Uh, I won't bother you with details, but I, I promise you. I think So I'm grateful for the way God's led us to do it the way we've done it. Because I think it's really wholesome and lots of people are commenting on it from all over the place. But I, I think that the only negative from my point of view is that in the UK, our joint voice is, is not heard like it used to be heard. And I wasn't even particularly aware of that until other people, key people in the nation, have said, for our, for our sake, please don't let the New Frontiers voice get lost in the UK because you've got such an important uh, part to play and such a good reputation over the years now. So will you look at that? So I've been praying about that. I've been talking to Steve about that. I think he's got a big part to play in that. And I I really feel that we need to kind of draw ourselves together from time to time. We need to beef up our website. We need to let people know... uh, hey, churches are getting planted, it's all pressing on and each of the teams are going well, it's all going well. It's just kind of gone below the the radar a bit and I think not just for our own sake but I'm being asked by others, for the sake of others, please uh, get your voice heard again in the country. So that's one thing that we're looking at and praying about at the moment. Yeah, we value your prayers on that. I'm I'm encouraged, Terry.
0: as We've talked a couple of times recently that there's a real coming together. The brothers, your sons are uh, finding each other again. It's, it's it's fun. Can I bring you just last thing right back to uh, Kings as a local church? Uh, is there anything uh, you would want to say to us or anything you felt God uh, would uh, have given you for us? I know you, I know you well enough you would have prayed about this evening and... Um, you know, so anything you want to just a, a passing word of encouragement to King or something like that, yeah, be great. I,
1: yeah, I don't have any word of rebuke. <laughs> no, I, I'm I, I'm I'm proud of you. I pray for you often. I pray for Steve often. I pray for you, your leadership team, and for you often. You you really carry the banner in a big way. Uh, Steve's got massive influence. Amongst the churches, not only in the UK but internationally now, lots of churches have begun to grow to size. There was a time when I travelled internationally years ago. People say, "What are the mega churches in England?" And I used to say, "There isn't a mega church in England," and I didn't know of a church of over a thousand in England anyway, at all. Uh, now, and certainly, people used to say, "Well, New France has got a lot of churches, a lot of small churches," which was true, but now lots of churches are growing through the hundreds. And sometimes don't know what to do with it, and probably, it, what's well, not just probably is true that Steve, uh, more than anybody, has been helping guys make the transitions uh, press through, uh, make good not only in this country but his voice has gone out. I mean, into Zimbabwe, into India, other places, helping guys transition is tremendous, absolutely outstanding. So you know, because you're behind him, <laughs> because you're building something here, you are, you are pioneering. And I, I'm just so thrilled. I feel this is God's favor on you. This place is just amazing. And what you did at, at Catfish Hill, what's happened at, uh, at, Downham and so on. It's just wonderful. Absolutely stunningly wonderful. And, uh, I just keep praying for you because I think God's giving you a voice. And, uh, Steve was with us recently. I, I gather leaders of movements once a year. We just had such a meeting a few weeks back. And, and, you know, we have a voice. We can help people right across the board. And there's such a good attitude towards us that in that informal setting, there's growth. So I, my word to you is keep going for it. Keep believing God. Uh, keep full of faith. Others, lots of guys are looking to you to see what do we do next what are they doing you you know you've really you're really pace setting so just to keep going for it really i i don't have any anything of any extraordinary note to play except say keep going for it keep trusting god keep believing god thank you Terry.
0: terry thank you for being a man of the word a man that follows the prophetic thank you for Uh, Battles that uh, many of us are living in the good of. It's great for some of the younger generation to hear of a day when you couldn't even speak in in church. Um, And uh, we're very grateful for your time. And we thank you for your fathering of a movement. And uh, yeah, thanks for at short notice popping across London and your encouragement to us. I mean, I do say to the church, we've got to keep pressing on because it's quite scary, but it is, you know, comes with a real uh, uh, degree of truth that there is a number of churches in the UK and overseas that are in our slipstream uh, trying to handle our values, relational, grace, word, spirit, and also scale now. And that's what we're endeavouring to do here. Let's uh, show our appreciation to Terry Verde. Thank you.
1: Thank you.